Welcome to the A to Z Running Podcast, where we help runners thrive. I'm Andy. And I am Zach. And up next, we talk with pro triathlete and professor Todd Buckingham about cadence. And after that, World of Running updates about Valencia Marathon, Nike Cross Nationals, and more. Glad to have you back with us. Remember that now is the time to begin submitting questions for your end of month Q&A episode. That's coming in December. And so in order to do that, you need to ask your questions. And the easiest way to ask is to go to adzrunning.com slash question. Mm-hmm. And we like to connect with you, as I always say, and you always do, so I appreciate it very much. I had posted a throwback in my stories recently, and it was one of a picture of me at a race when I was about 12 years old. I was wearing this cotton shirt, cotton socks, a sweatband. Looked pretty cool. I stand by that. Sweatband, Sweatband, by the way. I stand by it. Sweatbands can be useful. And then I also had these like little Velcro fasteners to keep my sleeves of that cotton t-shirt up. And it was funny how many of you responded in my era, apparently, that they, you did the exact same thing when oh you were young and you were a runner. And I just wanted to tie this into a quick, I guess you could say, tip. And Dr. Whitfit and Amanda and I all agree that we would have told our younger selves to just wear a stinking moisture-wicking shirt and a tank top instead of those fasteners to, you know help us not get chafing but you can save that cotton t-shirt that you get from the race for the relaxation after you're finished with the event in defense of the people wearing those things they simply were not as ubiquitous back then as it were so it's not like not everyone had moisture wicking yeah i understand that that reasonably cheap i i get that but it was funny how all of us were kind of pondering the fact that we could have worn a tank top instead of fasteners Mm. you know okay Something without sleeves instead of pulling your sleeves up. (laughs) I've never. We thought we were pretty cool though, and they're good memories to think back on. Racing when when we were little, so good stuff. Love reminiscing and connecting with you, and hearing how running has intersected your lives. Hmm. Speaking of good memories to look back on and creating Mm -hmm. them. You should be signing up for Rivertown races, yes, five k, ten k, or half marathon, and. Part of the reason why you should be doing that is because we are now partnering with Rivertown Races as the training provider for the event. And so participants who register get access to not only a generic training plan for any of the events available, um, that's available to all. However, you also get, if you would like a personalized, a customized plan right for you, you get 50% off our normal training plan fees if you are registered for the event. Mm-hmm. Rivertown Races in Millennium Park in Grand Rapids, Michigan. That is April 22nd of 2023. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for a half marathon to do in West Michigan, they've also got 10K or 5K, you definitely want to sign up for one of those. And it's going to be exciting to be able to support you in your training for that as well. Mm-hmm. But Don't wait too long because the training plan officially starts on December 12th, although you can jump in whenever you register. It doesn't have to be. Especially if you get customized. Then you really are getting what you need. So maybe if you wait too long, you'll have to customize it. So keep that in mind (laughs) while you do. 
Good. Well, exciting for that announcement, certainly. But keep in mind, in a more timely situation here, December 11th is the Whoville 5K in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And so if you're looking for a festive opportunity to run and enjoy some fun costumes, and certainly there are lots of those at this event, we will be there. And yeah. at least one of us will be wearing far too many jingle bells. <laughs> And running, or maybe with them. both of us, or maybe both and our of us. children. <laughs> they've got kids races. They've got a 5K for all ages, and you should definitely register because if you do, you can still get five dollars off your registration if you use code A to Z five. That is A T O Z five. Mm-hmm. Well, we usually like to tell you what desserts we're eating, but I did want to just show you all, not to brag. It kind of is gloating because you can't really you get this. You just feel so good about I just your love smoked it. fish. Okay, so I have white fish smoked and yep. it is and absolutely it. delicious it is. and it's from my father. And he if you did really it, so. like smoked fish, then you probably would like that. If you really don't Such, like smoked fish, I, it probably sounds awful. And the reason why I'm eating this right now is because I just did a long run and then we had to hop it on and do this recording. So and because this none is what of you I'm munching on her breath. During, uh, during this conversation. Like some of us in the studio. Mm-hmm. Okay, well... <laughs> Speaking of you, interesting things to be thinking about that aren't fish, we have a great conversation here. So let's get on to the main topic. Well, we are excited to have with us once again, Todd Buckingham, PhD, Professor of Exercise Science, among many other accolades, which I'll share in a moment. But this conversation is going to be enlightening and always is because what we like most about talking with Todd about these things is we get both perspectives at the same time. An expert, in this case, professional athlete, talking about things that he is also teaching to other people as a professor of the uh, topics. And so that's always really exciting to us. And we get to get Todd's experiences as well as expertise in these things. So keep in mind, those experiences are vast and high in quantity. Todd is a world-class triathlete professional. And with that comes 16 U.S. titles to date. Certainly not done with those. Four world titles, including the 2022 Iron Man 70.3 champion. So impressive. Incredibly impressive. So we are honored to have Todd with us once again to talk this time about cadence. Mm -hmm. And the cadence conversation comes up a lot in the running world. How much should we be paying attention to it? Dr. Todd, shed some light on the topic in this conversation. Well, Dr. Todd, Welcome back to the A to Z Running Podcast for now the fourth time that we've had you on the show. Our audience loves you, so do we. So we want to get sciencey again with you. Welcome to the show, Todd. All right. Thanks for having me back again. I, I still don't understand why. <laughs> <laughs> because you're a wealth of knowledge, of course. That's and, uh, it. Exactly. We have yeah, so much yeah. fun with you. And then also, like, you're so accomplished, of course, as a uh-uh. cyclist and a runner, and you bring the participation part of your expertise into play. And so we love that about you, Todd, um, just the collection of personal experience and then also what, you, what you've what you learned in your expertise. Um, so yeah, we're, we're excited to have you on the show talking about cadence today. And this is a topic that some of us hone in on and we think about a lot. And there's others of us who are like, what what's cadence? What does this mean for running? So let's just start kind of broad. What is cadence? Yeah, this is a great topic and and something that I think a lot of runners pay attention to uh, and some don't, as you mentioned, but cadence is essentially just how many steps 
per minute you're taking. It's just like a revolution on your car wheels that you see the speedometer. It's the one next to the speedometer, the revolutions per minute. So cadence is just steps per minute. So it's how many times are we taking a step every minute? And we can easily measure that by counting our steps or I know a lot of us have the Garmin watches that measure our cadence for us and we can just look down and go, oh, I'm running at this cadence. So yeah, as far as just the basic understanding of cadences, it's just how many steps are you taking per minute? Mm -hmm. So how does that affect running, performance, training? Why is it a conversation that we have? I think it's a conversation we have because there's this myth out there that you should always run at 180 steps per minute. I think a lot of people listening will have heard that you need to run at 180 steps per minute, but that's actually not true, uh, which is why I call it a myth, because your cadence is going to change as your running speed changes. So running speed is a product of your cadence, how many steps per minute you're taking, and your stride length, how many meters per step you're taking. So if you are running 10 minutes per mile and your cadence is 180 steps per minute, your stride length will be about 0.9 meters or about three feet, a little less than three feet. Whereas if you're running 830 per mile pace and your cadence is 180 steps per minute, your stride length is going to be about 3.7 feet. So you can see you're going to be taking a, a step that's essentially half a foot or more longer if you're running faster. So if you're keeping that same cadence at a variety of speeds, your stride length is going to vary greatly. And so if you slow down or speed up, you're essentially going to be either overstriding or understriding. So at different paces, at different running paces, your cadence should change because you don't want stride length to be the only thing that's changing. You're, you're gonna be more efficient running at certain cadences at certain speeds. So as far as training and racing goes, you're probably going to have a higher cadence during racing because you're running faster. Whereas in training, especially on your easy days, your cadence should be lower. And this is something that you should be doing. It's not something that we always do because we hear that 180 steps per minute and we want to hit that 180 steps per minute no matter what. But it's really something that you should do in order to get the most benefit out of running. Mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing you say is if you're running slower, you're at a more easy effort, you might be doing, there might be a lot of wasted energy by popping your feet up more quickly um, because your stride length is shorter. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yes, exactly. So if, if your stride length is too short, you're essentially just going to be bouncing up and down. If your cadence is 180 steps a minute and you're running really slow, whatever pace that is for you, I mean, I'm sure you will find that you're essentially just bouncing up and down and not really going forward as much. But that's what happens when you run slow is that your stride length gets shorter. And if you keep your cadence the same, then you're going to have to just bounce up and down. And it looks kind of silly when, when people run like that. But yeah, um, it's definitely something that you shouldn't do. Your cadence should change across a variety of, of speeds. And this whole idea of 180 steps per minute actually comes from the running coach 
Jack Daniels back in the 1980s when he observed Olympians during a race running at a cadence of at least 180 steps per minute. Now I say at least 180 steps per minute because they weren't running exactly 180 steps per minute. Some of them were running much faster than that, like at 200 steps a minute, but he saw that they were running at least 180 or higher. And so then we took that and said, oh, 180, that's what I need to be at. But we have to remember that these are Olympians running in the Olympics during a race. He said nothing about what their cadence was during training or when they're running slower, because during these races, you know, their distances from 800 up to the 5K and you're looking at Olympians who are running sub five minute pace, even for a 5K. So their cadence is going to be very fast because they're basically sprinting, right? So it, it, for, for us, the average people to run at a cadence of 180 or more at whatever pace we're running is not necessarily a good thing. Mm-hmm. This, this was seen in Olympians during a race. So unless you're an Olympian and racing, you don't always need to be 180 steps a minute or more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that w- that makes a whole lot of sense. Is there a difference in people's heights and what their cadence might be? Like how there, long their stride would be, how long their legs are? Are those there factors? Actually, there actually is no relationship between the two. I actually studied performance and triathletes for my dissertation. And we looked at the relationship between height and stride length, and there was no relationship between the two which was a little bit surprising, but other studies have seen that as well. Because if if you are faster, you're going to have a longer stride length, right? Because like I said earlier, running speed is a product of cadence and stride length. So your stride length is going to be longer if you're running faster. And typically we don't see very tall people in a marathon. You know, the, the men are five, six and the women are five foot nothing but they're still running at close to five minute pace or faster for the men for the entire marathon. So even if their cadence is 200 steps a minute to run five minute pace, your stride length is gonna have to be, you know, pretty pretty long, like four feet long. So you still have a very long stride length and, and the stride doesn't come from in front of you. Your stride comes from behind you. So it's when you push off the ground that a, allows you to propel yourself through the air and you're not reaching forward in front of your body or you shouldn't be if you are doing that stop because you don't want to reach out in front of your body you want to push off from behind and really use your glutes and your hamstrings to essentially jump from your back foot to your front foot with your front foot still landing underneath your body and not out in front of your body. But the stride comes from behind you and not in front of you. So it's more about how powerfully you can push yourself off the ground than it is about having long legs. Because if you think about it that way and just how strong and how powerful you can push off the ground and basically jump from one foot to the next, it really doesn't matter how tall you are or how long your legs are because in that case, like smaller and lighter people would have an advantage because you can jump further because you have less weight and mass weighing you down to propel yourself through the air. So yeah, stride length doesn't have anything to do with how tall you are. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, this is an interesting topic because I have heard a lot of people discuss trying to hit the 180 and having music to help them do that and using that in training. Um, is there a time that you want to be thinking about it or is that really an output? Is it something that we should be thinking about quick feet in our form and then that is something that maybe we could see afterwards that could just be like a fun data point? What is your perspective on that? The short answer is it depends as with everything. Uh, it's one of my favorite sayings and the athletes I coach and even my students, I'll, I'll ask them, you know, what do you think the answer to this is? It depends, Todd. Um, so it really depends if it's something you should pay attention to or not. So it depends on a few things. Is one is, are you coming back from an injury that was caused by overstriding? Or, you know, is it just something that you are paying attention to because somebody told you you should run a cadence of 180 steps a minute? Our bodies do such a good job of being as efficient as possible that we naturally settle into the most efficient cadence for a certain pace. And if we try to change that by stepping faster or even slower, we actually end up using more energy to run that pace by changing cadence. Now, if you're coming back from an injury that was caused by overstriding, yeah, it can be valuable to, to try to focus on cadence and, and get your cadence up. I went for a run this morning with the Lion Street Run Club here in Grand Rapids, and it was pretty icy. So I really focused on taking shorter steps because taking longer steps in the snow and ice, you're more likely to slip and fall and don't want that. So that was something that I was focused on this morning when I was out for my run. But it's not something that you need to be focused on all the time because of that relationship with stride length. Your cadence and stride length make up how fast you're running. So if you can run six minute pace with a cadence of 150, okay, that's fine. And uh, if, if you'd rather do it at a cadence of 190, that's fine too, whatever is most efficient for you. But it's not something that you need to consciously think of for every run that you're going out and doing. It's something that I think of very infrequently. I honestly, this morning was probably the first time that I've thought about my cadence in a while, uh, just because it's not something that is like a key data point for me. Yeah, it might be something to look at after the run, but not something that I would look at during the run. And what I would do after the run to analyze it is maybe look at if my cadence was higher or lower compared to my stride length, because then that would tell me if I am being more powerful or not. If I'm going a certain speed because you can actually train yourself to take longer strides by weightlifting and producing more power in your lower body so that you can essentially jump from one foot to the other more efficiently. And that would then make your stride length longer. And then your cadence could actually decrease for a given pace. So there are, I mean, there are professional runners, you'd see a range of cadences from 160 all the way up to 200. So it's not like there's one size fits all and everybody needs to stick at 180. It's it's a wide range of cadences that you can be successful with. Mm -hmm. I like this conversation because it helps us understand what the purpose of maybe having quick feet would be. And then also 
this is a part I want to highlight. It's not a one size fits all type of cadence situation. And even among pros, there's such diversity. And for us to be thinking about how to be efficient, and you gave us a really great example of how we can get a, a larger stride length. You said power. So power is one way. Is there another way that we can increase our stride length, maybe mobility, or is there um, other ways that we can improve? That's a good question. So mobility and being more flexible is not necessarily going to give you a longer stride length. Running faster will give you a longer stride length just because you have to increase stride length to run faster as per the equation that I've already spelled out with cadence times stride length equals that running speed. So being more flexible is not necessarily a good thing with running too. Now, there is some base level of flexibility that you have to have. Otherwise, you can't take the joint through its full range of motion. But being overly flexible is not a good thing because, and I think we've talked about this before, but if you think of your muscles and tendons like a rubber band, if you have a loose floppy rubber band, when it stretches, it's not going to snap back and recoil as quickly as a normal rubber band when you stretch it, it snaps back and you get that elastic recoil. The muscles act the same way that when you stretch them, so when your foot hits the ground, you're stretching the muscles. And then when you push off the ground, that rubber band is snapping back into place and pushing you off the ground more efficiently. So if you have that loose floppy rubber band or muscles and tendons, it's not gonna propel you as efficiently and you're just going to lose some of that energy. So being overly flexible is is not a good thing. As I mentioned, you do have to have just normal level of flexibility in the joint in order to take it through its range of motion, but you don't have to be super flexible like a gymnast in order to be able to, to increase your stride length. Um, so strength training is is the one is one way running faster, doing strides at the end of a workout to teach your body how to take those longer steps. And then, um, oh geez, it was just, oh yeah, dynamic drills. Okay, dynamic exercise. So not static stretching, because I think when we think of stretching, we think of static stretching, sit and hold, you know, touch your toes. But dynamic stretching allows you to take the muscles through their full range of motion without sitting and holding. So high knees, butt kickers, you know, um, toe touches, lunges, things like that, that, you know, take the, the joint, the hip joint, the knee joint, the ankles through their full range of motion so that they have that range of motion, but you're not doing it in a static manner that lengthens the muscle. It's a quick lengthening and, and shortening of the muscle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then also to be able to get off the ground more quickly, you want to have good proprioception and, you know, if you're, you're working correctly, let, you know, if you're coming down and you're not doing it in an efficient way, like if you're rocking to the side, or if you're like, is it coming straight down? That's likely going to affect the amount of power um, that you have. And then of course your stride length too. So there's so many things that go into it. So the input should not be the cadence. That's an, that's an output. Um, I do want to backtrack just a minute because I think a lot of people who are listening, they're listening in the winter. And I love that you had mentioned the quick feet on the ice because you don't want to push off really hard when mm -hmm. it could be an unstable surface. That's something we've recommended to athletes too, as they're going into the winter season to think of the light and quick feet. And another 
place and you can uh, give some feedback into this too is in cross country there's a lot of like muddy slippery uh, areas and to do light and quick feet it's not to get a certain cadence but it's to think about how you can that cadence can help you on unstable surfaces do you want to talk or um kind of shed light onto that part of cadence yeah so what you're trying to do is you're trying to maximize the distance that you travel in the air you're trying to maximize your stride length well if you're running on the ice or the uh, snow or as you mentioned mud cross-country courses when you push off if your foot slips behind you and your your stride ends up being you know two feet versus if you're just taking a sh normal shorter stride and it ends up being two feet and you're not trying to really run fast and push off hard well you have the same stride length but you're using a lot less energy when you're trying to take a shorter step than when you're taking that longer step and slipping the other thing is that when you are pushing off more forcefully trying to run faster taking longer strides there's more likelihood that you do slip so when you're running on snow ice mud taking shorter strides is going to be more efficient because you're not wasting that power or that foot drive by slipping on the snow ice or or mud so just from a physiological perspective it's going to be more efficient to take shorter strides so that you're not slipping and losing that energy and more of the energy gets returned you know through the foot to the to the movement forward mm. yeah momentum okay there's so many things in physiology and physics about running that you think running is so simple, but you're like, okay, well, then we have dynamic terrain that we're running on that mm -hmm. are going to change how we might do this thing. But a lot of it is automated. Like you were talking about, you were saying um, the ways that we can improve this are pretty much things that we work on before and uh, after. It's a, an intentional thing that we do at certain times, right? And yeah. then when we get into a race, we don't want to have to think about that or have any kind of feedback because we have other things to be concentrating on in our race than how many um, steps per minute we're getting in. Exactly, exactly. And that's the thing is that during a race, you don't want to be thinking about, oh, what should my stride length be? What should my cadence be? What should my vertical oscillation be or my ground contact time? You just want to run. You want to shut your brain off because racing is mentally draining anyway. And if you're thinking about all of these things, you're not going to be able to have your best race. In fact, there have been studies done about flow. I don't know if if your listeners are familiar with flow, but it's a psychological thing. We did an episode psychology. about it a couple uh, weeks ago. Like just yeah. recently, we did an yeah, episode see, all about perfect. flow. Perfect, perfect so, timing. Yeah, it's it's hard it's hard to reach a state of flow when you're thinking about all of these little things that you have to do. And, and that just comes with practice and with training and listening to your body. You know, for me with swimming, I don't think I ever get into a state of flow because it's like, oh, I have to have my hand entry here and turn here. And like my head has to be at this angle and tilt your body down. And I'm, I'm not a good swimmer. So it's like, I'm thinking about all these things, but if you ask, you know, a professional swimmer, no, they don't think about that stuff at all. It's just like, same thing with running, you know, you don't think about what my cadence is, what my stride length is. So it, it just takes time to develop that skill because it is a skill to learn 
you know, what your cadence is, what your stride length is, how fast you're running, because I'm sure, you know, if, if you were to go out for a run or if I were to go out for a run, I know I could, I could probably tell you within five seconds per mile how fast I'm running, but that's just because I don't listen to music while I run. I listen to my breathing and feel my heart rate and my, I can internally sense my cadence and stride length. So it's just something that takes time to develop and it's, it's not something you should be thinking about for every run or especially during the race because you don't wanna waste that mental energy on thinking about, oh, what should my cadence be? Or you know, staring at your watch, making sure that you have a cadence of 180 steps a minute. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation and I hope, and I know it's going to be helpful for our audience to, to know and understand what cadence is and then how to be able to maybe more intuitively know how to go about cadence work in runs and in races. Is there anything else you want to uh, leave with our audience? Yeah, there are a couple of things actually. So one is injury, because I know a lot of people are probably out there saying, well, taking a short cadence will prevent injury. And then the other one is foot placement and how your foot hits the ground, you know, whether heel striking or forefoot striking. So we'll talk about the injury piece first. So there are a couple of studies that have been done on running cadence and injury prevention or seeing if they if prevented injury. So uh, there is one study that found no difference between healthy and injured runners and their cadence. And the study looked at people with a higher cadence did not have the lowest load rate, which is just how hard the foot hits the ground. And then the other study found that 13 of 19 runners had a cadence of 168 steps per minute or lower got injured, while only two of nine with a cadence greater than 169 got injured. But the study found that no difference between cadence and injury. And the other study found 68% of the runners with low cadence got injured and only 22% with a high cadence got injured. So like one study found nothing. The other study found high cadence didn't get injured, but the studies are very small and we can't draw conclusions from either of those because you could just look at one or the other and go, well, this one showed that cadence doesn't have an impact on injury, but then you could look at this one and go, oh, this one does have a, a impact on injury. So these things that like when you hear these studies, you really have to look at them in the whole picture of, of the information. I'm teaching a research methods class this semester and we talk about the strength of evidence. So when when you're when you're looking at a body of data, you can't just say, yep, this is the case because there's one piece of information or two pieces of information. Like even with just those two pieces of information, I would not feel confident saying one way or the other that cadence in, impacts injury in any way. So you really have to have a bigger body of, of evidence. So that's one piece is that cadence may or may not influence injury risk. The other thing is your foot placement when it hits the ground. So I talked about overstriding and landing in front of your body, but a lot of people think that heel striking is a bad thing. I think we've, we've heard that heel striking isn't good and you shouldn't do it, but there's nothing inherently wrong with heel striking. It's more about where your foot lands underneath your body. So if you're heel striking, but your foot lands underneath your center of gravity, that's totally fine. The problem is when you land out in front of your center of gravity, or if you're heel hits the ground and it's not in line with your knee or your hip, that's when you can cause more injury or you're essentially just slowing yourself down because it's like you're putting on the brakes because you're 
putting your foot down in front of your body, slowing yourself down, having to regenerate that movement of that running cadence. Whereas if you're landing underneath your body, it's essentially you're just falling forward. And I think, what is the running method? Is it the pros or the pose running method that it's just like talks about falling forward? I don't remember exactly what it is, but there's a, a running method that talks about falling forward and, and having the forward lean is important because then you can't really land with your foot out in front of your body if you're leaning forward. So it, it doesn't matter where your foot, what part of your foot hits the ground. It does matter where your foot hits the ground. So even professional runners, you know, people who ran the New York Marathon or the Chicago Marathon a few months ago, they heel strike and they're still running really, really fast. And so it, it doesn't matter where your foot hits the ground um, on the foot itself, but more so where the foot hits the ground in relation to your center of gravity. So I know that's, that's one thing that a lot of people tend to focus on is shortening their stride length, increasing their cadence so that they're not heel striking, but you can keep your cadence long or high. You can keep your stride length long and still land in front of your, or um, underneath your body with that heel strike. And that's okay. Forefoot striking or midfoot striking isn't for everybody. So whatever feels comfortable for you, just make sure that you're landing closer to the center of gravity instead of out in front of your body. And you can, you can do this pretty easily. Like just take your phone and videotape yourself running on a treadmill and, you know, do slow motion and then see how far in front of your hips or your knee, your foot is landing and go, okay, well, I need to make sure that I'm, you know, leaning forward a little more not necessarily taking shorter strides, but lean forward a little more so that you're not putting the brakes on and landing with that foot out in front of your body. Mm -hmm. Zach's going to love listening back to this conversation when he gets to hear it. I, I'm excited because I got the chance to talk to you this time. <laughs> so um, I, yeah, because I think a lot of what you're discussing here and giving us a framework to be thinking about when we're running is really listening to our bodies and paying more attention to where our footfall is, paying more attention to what feels right within the rhythm of the effort that we're giving, whatever pace that we are going. And I think that that is kind of a key factor that I feel like I'm taking away from you here today, Todd, is that you under, if you can understand all these little bits and pieces, and then you're able to translate them by listening to your, to your body and getting a video taken because sometimes we don't always feel what is happening. And so sometimes it's helpful to see that and get that kind of feedback. But I, I think that's a really valuable part of this conversation. And even as you were talking about the studies with like high cadence and low cadence and injury, I wonder if those people who did get injured would have been able to feel that something wasn't right. If there was pain signals, if there were things that were sore as they were running, I'm guessing that that would be the case. If cadence was a factor in their injury, they might've started to feel some things. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, potentially. Um, you know, I think a lot of times we don't feel something is sore or potentially damaging until it's too late and we're already injured. So, because I mean, you know, how many people go through their running careers doing the same thing and just ending up injured over and over again and not really understanding why. So yeah, maybe, but maybe not. Again, it depends. <laughs> so um, yeah, you know, I, I think 
more research is needed to be done on this stuff because it is important. And I know a lot of people out there are like, well, Todd, you didn't help me at all today. Like, I don't know if I should do a faster cadence or not. There's no conclusive data on whether it prevents injury, but you know, it, it is, I would say the, the one takeaway is that you don't have to focus on cadence. There, there is no clear relationship with injury. So taking a, a shorter stride and having a faster cadence isn't necessarily going to prevent you from getting injured. It's not going to make you more efficient. It's not going to make you faster. Whatever pace you're running, your body automatically falls into a good cadence and the most efficient for you cadence that there is. You know, the caveats are if you're getting injured or if you're landing with your foot out in front of your body, then maybe you need to change it up a little bit. But for the most part, it's just your body knows what you need to be the most efficient at whatever pace you're running at. So don't think about it too much because you don't want to waste that mental energy. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for that gift of not having to worry about it, because I think that as runners, we try to control and contrive so many things and to be able yeah. to let that go and to let that cadence come naturally to us is freeing. So I hope you all feel free out there who just listened to Todd give us that permission uh, to let go of the need to conjure a certain cadence. So thank you, Todd, for coming on the show today. Yes, of course. Thanks for having me, Andy. Thanks for coming on the show again, Todd, times four. <laughs> Is it four? That's yeah. Excellent. Four times. Yep. We appreciate the whole conversation and how I was able to reinforce kind of what we talk about here on the show about having the intuition as a runner, really listening to our bodies to develop the reading of our body in order to do what we need to do in the sport to help us thrive. And that means like, of course, large scale, but also in the run itself. And Todd told us that cadence is something that we should not be trying to force, but rather find like a balance. And there's a couple really good notes he had though about like having like quickening your cadence for things like grass or mud or snow and ice. It, there are ways that we can use cadence to help us in performance, but to have that 180 be the only ideal is not something we should be focusing so hard on. Not to the unnatural corrections. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. That's good. Yep. Great conversation with Todd. Definitely appreciate that. Now let's get on to the world of running. First off, congratulations are in order to two A to Z runners who ran CIM, Aaron and Audie. Congrats to Aaron on a three-minute PR as well. Oh, excellent. Very well done. Mm -hmm. Well, good. So let's start in on the world of running with the Valencia Marathon. We're taking this one first because... Um, it is just a really, really interesting day in Valencia. So Valencia, Spain has now kind of taken the mantle of like the premier elite marathon in the world. It certainly is clear that this is one where people go to run fast times. It's not one of the majors, so it's a little bit easier for some of the athletes to gain entry um, because they don't tend to, the race doesn't have to tend to pay quite as much for the athletes to run it where the majors, it, there's costs that are higher. But in any event, it does not disappoint. And no. now for many instances, it's been incredible. <laughs> and if you so haven't heard fast. about this race yet, then I'm yeah, glad that you listen to this podcast attention. because no, I just don't think, I think it's very under publicized mm. that because these it's not things one of the majors. Happening. Yeah. 
it's it was an incredible race. Yeah. I'll let you get to it, Zach. <laughs> okay, I'm very excited. So I'm going to tell you everything, everything. All right. First of all, on the men's side of the race, we had a debutante win the race. Is that actually the right thing to say? I don't know what that means. I'm sorry. Debuting a debutante. Oh, a debutante. Oh. Well, anyway, I don't know because I think a debutante also is something else. But how about a newbie? <laughs> Go for it. He's not new to running. He's just new to I marathon. Mean, the marathon um, is its own animal. Kelvin Kiptum of Kenya won the race. He is a half marathoner of incredible prowess, but um, has never run a marathon before. So in his debut, he wins a very fast race. As a matter of fact, he won the race in a new debut record for the men, but also in the third fastest time ever run making him only the third person to run under 202 right in a time of 201.53 that's nasty fast guys the only two people to run faster are the Kipchoge and Kenanisa Bekele and he's just debuting that's his first marathon what so that is incredible and now it gets worse or better depending on how you're looking at this not worse better (laughs) well I'm well anyway better is better not only did he run an incredibly fast time, but his second half, his second half marathon, was the fastest second half ever run in a marathon in a time of 60 minutes and 15 seconds. Which means he ran it so strong and smart. Which means that for the second half, he was running well under world record pace. Yeah. So, that's Kipchoge's world record. So, wow. <laughs> that's that's incredible. I'm so excited. Here's what happens, and this is what I find to be so incredibly interesting. Um, at about 30K into the race, he and two others are left. There's only three of them left in the race. And he turns to the other two guys, and he's like, come on, like help out with the you know leading and stuff. And I'm, you know, they're running fast at this point. I'm like, what are these guys thinking? They're like, no way. I'm not going to do your job for you. You know, if you're, if you're so eager, you take it, right? Well, then he decides, okay, I will punish you for that. And he drops a 14 flat 5K for the next 5K. And then proceeds to hold the pace through the end of the race. His, like his next 5K after that was like 14.05. He just keeps it up. And that's how he ran 60.15 for the second half. That is incredible. Whoa. So he's 23 years old. Young. Plenty of time left. If marathon careers are anything to be observed at this point, he could have another 15 years of world-class marathon in, in him. And if he does, watch out, world, because... He's off to a good start. All right. Now, that said, of course, he wasn't the only one doing impressive things in the race either because there were four men under 204 in the race, which is an incredible thing for a single race. And in second place, Gabriel Guy of Tanzania ran 203 flat. Almost, it, you know, okay, the unofficial that is two hundred two fifty nine. a national record, right? For, yes. And so that's a national record. Also... In third place, Alexander Mutiso of Kenya ran 203.29, which would have been the previous debut record because he's also a first-time marathoner. That would have been the fastest debut ever, except for the guy who won the race who went in a minute and a half faster. Wow. Yeah, so that's that's what kind of level of race we're talking about. Um, World champ Tamarat Tola of Ethiopia was then in fourth in 203.40. So you have those four guys all under 204, which is just amazing, incredible stuff. Lentezabet Gede of Ethiopia ran her debut. This was highly anticipated, and people have been very excited about this. And And the main reason why is because this is her debut, but she had told everyone she was going to try to run the world record in her debut. And, of course, that raises a buzz. Right. (laughs) says that. And, of course, we're all like, can she do that in her debut? She has the accolades on the track to 
and 10K and half marathon. Too. Yes, she holds the world record currently in the 5K track, 10K track, 15K roads, and half marathon roads. Yeah. So she was just going to say, let me just add one more to that. And well, she's hungry. It didn't go as planned. But she did run the fastest debut marathon. That she did. And that was, you know, very, she beat it very, uh, what would you say that? Well, well, um, well she ran okay, 216.49 well. for mm -hmm. her first ever marathon, which itself was highly impressive marathon time. Good for second place. In, in a, Although what, that was probably a little a humbling, race. seeing as how she wanted to get the world record. I imagine humbling. Second. Especially because of what happened after she started fading. So she only she was in it until 35K. The last 7K was very tough for her. And she said in an interview afterwards, she said, I was very tired. It was, it was catching up to her. Because immensely. the marathon's a beast. And pays um, no graces. So Amane Beriso of Ethiopia as well is now the one who kind of takes the spotlight here. Because not only did she start pulling away at about 10K to go... But she proceeded to continue chasing the world record time and only faded a bit running 214.58 for the third fastest marathon time ever. Ever. And a six-minute PR just to go so with it. So both the men's and the women's marathons, if you're wanting the short note of it, both in the men's and the women's, the winner ran the third fastest all time. Yeah. And bo in both instances, now we're talking about they're in league with the best names in marathoning history and in road running history in general. Because on the women's side, the only two who have run faster than Bariso there um, include Ruth Chepnagedich, who's got all the accolades all of them. <laughs> in the roads, and uh, Bridget Kaske, who holds mm -hmm. the world record currently. Now, you said, how much of a PR was this? You told Six me. Six minutes. Okay. Yeah, you had told me in person. I was like, that is crazy. Yes. So uh, she's she's one who. Um, hasn't really been, people haven't been paying a lot of attention to her lately because she's been, actually that PR, as a matter of fact, is quite old. 2016? Yeah, like six years old. Um, and she's struggled for a bit. Well, her coach comes back and says, well, yes, she struggled because she's had some injury problems. Yeah. But she's finally been healthy for like a year. That's awesome. And not only did she run this, but she also ran a 7,000 foot elevation marathon, uh, the Mexico City Marathon in August, and ran like 225, which oh. at 7,000 oh, feet wow. of elevation, that says, been reporting that. clearly she's in great shape. Yeah. Yes. So Bariso, remember that name. Amani Bariso of Ethiopia is one to continue to watch just to you know, see what happens here. So the women's race was a historic race because not only did you have times like that and uh, you know, a debut record, you also had seven women under 219, which is the best by far. Ever. Um, yeah, the last best race. was five under something like that 219 yeah which we reported on but it's old news now um so seven women under 219 and not just seven but um under 219 but you had a whole handful of women under 218 even and so you mentioned the first two already sheila chepkari chepkarui um was also under 218 in third place she ran 21729 which was her debut debut yep. yeah sheila and would have been especially notable, you know, but the other debut record ahead of her. And so, you know, all that good stuff. But then 21-year-old Tedu Tashome of Ethiopia also ran another six-minute PR to run 217.36 for Six-minute PR. Yep. Snap. At 21 years of age running these Okay, I'm so time. excited about this next one. All right. Now, this is this one. So we've been talking about these youngsters doing crazy stuff. Well, how about people who aren't youngsters anymore? Can they still do crazy stuff? And the answer is yes. Yes. Sinead Diver of Australia, previously of Ireland, um, she's been running for Australia now for about 
six or eight years or so. And um, she ran a three-minute PR for 221.34 at 45 years of age for a new Australian national record. Diver is my hero. And the world best 45-plus marathon ever. So Let's get geeked. That's really something. Let's get geeked that so, she can run that fast. Yeah, and she's, I mean, she's, uh, what was her, she was in the Olympics just recently yeah. in top 10, right? Or right around top 10. We talked about her. Yeah. So, so she was doing she's, well. She's at the, you know, the world-class stage. Um, she ran her first marathon at age 37. So she actually hasn't been doing this all that long, about eight years of marathoning. She um, was a professional runner before yes. that, though. She's, she's been a good runner yeah. for a long time. But uh, that's, you know, just really taking leaps and bounds of improvement still at this point it's just wonderful to see by the way a quick side note australia had some good marathoning going on that weekend because brett robinson also in a totally different event ran a new men's australian record um in the 207 and change so that's cool you get two uh two australian records go down the same day very fun um all right now Back to the youngsters. <laughs> let's let's take a total pivot. We've talked about marathoning and the the world class runners. Now let's talk about high school cross country. Who could it, also be world class runners? <laughs> also, high school cross country is like this never ending season. It just keeps it's going never and going. Ending. Um, so here we had the Nike Cross Nationals back again. Nike Cross Nationals had a whole bunch of like random breaks and misses because of the COVID stuff, uh, but back in full force. Um, trying to be kind of the premier cross-country national championship in the United States. They, there's a few of them that tend to vie for that spot. Mm -hmm. um, Nike Cross is where they take these regional races, and they call them Nike Cross Regionals, and uh, the best finishers from each of the regions then meet together for a, it's like a 100-person race um, in, in Oregon. So here's how it went down, and it's, Really quite interesting. Um, on, the, on the girls' race, uh, not surprising at all that Irene Riggs stormed ahead of everyone and then just stayed in front. And she has the record? Or the Does record she have the national record? No, no, no. Second fastest ever. Okay. But, yes. Yeah, so, so you recall we reported she ran 1602 um, at the, I believe it was one of the regionals courses. But she ran 1640 to win this race. Not, I mean, it was by 14 seconds, you know, not like a minute and a half, like the last race she ran. But still, but she 14 was tired. seconds, that's not, a, it's not a long race. It's 5K. Right. So 14 seconds is, is good. Yes. But the point being, she wasn't trying to win by more than that. She was just trying to win strongly because it was super windy and the course is kind of hilly. And so it was a Managing very challenging. Managing her effort. Yes. Good work, Irene. Solid that. So some great racing going on throughout the race. But then we started noticing some interesting things about some of the runners. Like yeah. these names look familiar. And we're like, this why is, so is it fun. that we recognize these names? Well, that's for us at least. First up, Sophia Kennedy finished seventh overall in the race. Um, Sophia Kennedy is the daughter of Bobby Kennedy, who was the one-time U.S. 5K record holder in an era when American distance runners really weren't that successful on the world stage. And he was kind of like well, the only one for a while. It was kind of cool. And I knew who he was. Yeah. Didn't you meet him? Yeah. I met Bob Kennedy yeah. at Gazelle. Yes. At Gazelle Sports. Yeah. He did a signing once. Yeah. So back to the college days there for yeah. you, Andy. Um, so Sophia Kennedy, his daughter, finished in seventh in Nike Cross Nationals. That's quite impressive. She's a senior, I believe, or a junior. But either way, um, upperclassmen running great. She's got a good future ahead of her if she continues it on for sure. And then we saw another name, and I thought to myself, why aren't the announcers commenting on Because they, they were commenting on Bobby Kennedy, and I'm like, that one's another one that stands out to me. And then they said it, and I was like, oh, ah, good, ah. good. Yeah. So, oh, by the way, we have um, 
you can watch these races in full if you would like to, to actually like, see him come down. So in 18th place, we recognized another name. It was Addie Ritzenhain. Yes, daughter of Dathan Ritzenhain. Part of the reason why this surprised me is because she's a freshman. And I just was not expecting to see her name at <laughs> Nike Cross Nationals finishing in the top 20. Yeah. She was the best freshman, by the way. The next best ninth grader was 43rd place. So she's got some serious legs on anybody else. But at her are age. you surprised? <laughs> no. Because both her mother, Kaylin, yep. and her father, Dathan, are amazing runners. Yeah. Yep. So I'm not surprised. But it was funny because I didn't really think of her as the runner in the family because, well, you know, they're a family of runners. But she was doing swimming when she lived here. Yeah, well, she's clearly doing running as well. Yeah. So Ritzenhain also led her team and her team ended up finishing second in the team standings. Oh, that's awesome. Way to go, Addy. Well. Congrats. Yes, very well done. Those of us in Rockford are very proud of you. West Michigan people <laughs> West Michigan gathering, people. rallying behind. All right. So on the boys' race, um, it, it was especially fun to watch because they basically were saying um, ahead of this race that it was like one of four boys that were going to win this thing for sure. Uh, it just so happened that there were four boys in the race who were basically all undefeated. Now, that's not exactly true because Leo and Lex Young are twins from Newberry Park. Um and they, the only people who have beaten them are each other. So they, this year they've beaten each other, but no one else has beaten them. And then there's hmm. two other boys in the race who have never lost to anyone uh, because, you know, as it goes, they've never raced each other. So one of those four boys were, were considered to be the likeliest winners. As it happens, none of them won. But that's where things just get exciting because the race went out what you would have expected. The favorites went to the front. Leo and Lex Young specifically wanted to put the pe pedal down early. They went through the mile. The boys went through the mile at 430, which is not necessarily Ouch. on a hilly, windy day. good on a hilly, windy day. So they were trying to really break things off. And unfortunately they weren't able to break things off because just about everybody went with them. It was an incredible thing to see this many people running fast early in the race. So it was Lex who pushed early Lex young. And then brother Leo was kind of, uh, just rolling with him. And then Lex started fading about halfway into the race, um, which is uncharacteristic. He, he hasn't done that all year, but he was tiring clearly. And Leo took over and he looked like he was a definitive victory. He had a gap and he was pushing strong with like, 800 to go was increasing his gap and Galen Rupp who was announcing for the race as it happens Galen Rupp even made the comment like this is over like it's it's done at about 500 to go and then things changed fast because he tied up right well he didn't look like he was tying up but he started slowing and he started slowing at exactly the wrong moment because the moment he started slowing was when his teammate Aaron Salmon who is not that far behind, started picking it up. And so Leo slows as he's going up the last hill, and Aaron Salmon goes up that hill like a freight train, which I believe is the same thing that Galen Rupp said in the commentary, and passed him like he was standing still. It was incredible. Right at the top of the hill, Salmon goes by, and you could just see that at that point, Leo was no longer fighting to try to fight. He was just trying to hold on. Okay. And so... Aaron Salmon comes by, just storms by for the victory, which marks now the second Salmon brother to win Nike yeah. Cross Nationals because his older brother also won this race. So maybe he's been taking last notes. year. Yeah, he's been taking some notes. <laughs> Indeed, that. And so Aaron Salmon wins the race, which was a surprise upset. He has never beaten Leo and Lex Young in cross country. Okay. Um, at least, I guess not this year. I can't recall specifically if 
earlier in high school. But um, you just want, it was waiting for them to wear themselves out and then come and clean the national title. What's even more incredible is Leo, who was so far ahead with 800 to go and still leading at 500 to go, ended up in 11th place. Yeah. That's how fast everyone was coming on. And in the also, end. it's just so hard when you think you are going to win and it kind of breaks your spirit when the first one passes. Yeah. And then it's just hard if you had any kind of emotions that rushed through. I mean, yeah, we're not we're yeah. not uh, single dimensional human beings. So True that. Yeah. Well, if you want to watch some great races, those are some good ones to watch, and we'll put a link to them on the post on adzrunning.com. Speaking of great races to watch, this next one here, we've also got the full race footage you could watch if you would like, and that is the BU season opener for indoor track and field. We were anticipating this one. We mentioned it. Caitlin Tui running, and there was some talk about the potentiality that she would be going for the collegiate 5K record, which is 1501 or 0201, something like that, held by Jenny Simpson. Um, well, Tui was going for it because the Pacers, who happened to be professional runners Emma Coburn and Danny Jones of New Balance, were pacing the race at 15 flat pace. How cool. Yeah, By right? the way, how Very awesome. Cool. That'd be so exciting to have them as your Pacers. Well, they did a great job. They kept the race honest and on pace. However, it simply was not in the cards this time as Caitlin Tui was not able to hang on after about the 3K-ish mark. Um, it's a long season Indeed, it is that. Yeah. But she still ran great. She finished second in 15-15. It was Annie Rodenfels, however, of the BAA, who took hard after the Pacers dropped. She charged ahead and then put a decent gap that just kind of held the rest of the way through, and she won it in 15-08. Oh, she's, I remember, uh, she's part of the talk for the Olympic trials on Indeed. track. So. Indeed. Yep. Strutting her stuff. Well, Very she's good. starting her season well, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, back in the race, more interesting things were going on because Alabama's women went third and fourth. Hilda Olamomoy and Mercy Chalangat running 15, 17, and 15, 18. That's a strong one two wow. punch for a single school. Absolutely. Absolutely that. And then true freshman Natalie Cook, we've been talking about her mm-hmm. as well, ran a new under 20 U.S. record which I believe was her own record, but she ran 15.24 for a one-second personal best and a new U-20 record in her track season opener. Wow. And it should be noted that on the men's side, uh, Parker Wolf also ran a new under-20 record. He ran 13.19 in the men's race. He runs for UNC currently, and that's impressive because that was Nico Young's record. Mm. We just mentioned his younger brothers, Lex and Leo. Well, Nico Young running for... Northern Arizona University uh, held the U-20 record previously from last year. Well, Parker Wolf just broke it. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's some good freshmen coming up, wink, wink, Addie Ritzenhine. So who knows how long that More U-20 youngsters will, coming will on, stand. Right? <laughs> cool things mm-hmm. well hey before we break this session we did want to mention here a couple bonus things because there's just so many good things going mm-hmm. on one of those being just a very interesting story uh there's an australian runner her name is urkana urchana marie bartlett and she is running marathons yeah. lots of them um she just completed her hundredth in a row and at the time of our recording, depending on when you're listening to this, she's probably going to be somewhere around 102 and 103. And the reason why that's significant is because the world record held by Guinness Book of World Records is 106 marathons okay. in a row. That's every day. That marathon every day. Horrible. She's trying to run 107 
and then go on to continue running until she gets to 150. Whoa. Her goal is 150 oh. marathons in a row. So she doesn't want to just get it. She wants to crush it. Yes, and that's in fact the reason why. When asked, she said, well, here's the problem. That record has been changing rapidly. In the last several years, it's getting broken consistently by like one or two. She's like, so I'm going to break it by a lot. And then hopefully I'll hold on to it for a while because mm. she doesn't want to do it again. <laughs> and I agree with that sentiment. Yeah. So that's cool. We're, we're linking to that story if you want to read more about it. And then one other quick note, because we've been reporting quite a bit on the doping situation in the world. Um, we mentioned to you that Kenya was potentially at risk of suspension as a country. Well, the World Athletics Organization met and the anti uh the integrity, the athlete integrity unit met and they decided not to suspend Kenya, but at very severe restrictions and parameters that must be met. So Kenya is promising that they will work very hard to ensure that their athletes are tested regularly to ensure that they're abiding by the global protocols. Um, and that makes sense. And one comment from Seb Coe, who's uh, the president of World Athletics, I think, or the Olympic Committee, one of the two, maybe both. Um, Seb Coe, said he feels good about that um, about that interaction because in his mind, the fact that so many Kenyan athletes have been caught in the last year is itself evidence that Kenya is trying hard to police their athletes well because otherwise they wouldn't be getting caught. And so his, his comments are they are trying to crack down on the problem. And as a result, they're going through a period right now where there's a lot of guilty uh, instances. However, that should lessen. Because clearly, it's going to be harder for athletes to do things like that. I think that I think that's a, a decent perspective on it. That said, Russia may be reinstated in March of 2023 okay. as well. So we might have a, a full contingent again with no mm -hmm. uh, national bans at this time. On a final high note, Futsum Zanasalasi that we've had on our podcast recently. He won CIM. In his debut. In his debut. I told you that I would keep you updated on his marathon, and it went as he had hoped. He won the race. He qualified for the trials, of course. He ran 2.11 and change. So very strong running, very strong debut from Futsum. Not a bad way to do it. Winning the CIM race, U.S. Championship Marathon, as well yeah. as running a time that puts him um, really high up on the standings because keep in mind that qualifying for the Olympics is a combination of two things. One, it's how far up you go in the world rankings. And two, it's how well you perform at the U S trials. So if he can perform well at the U S trials as well, that by itself, that's a, that's a ticket in the door. And this probably qualifies him for the world championships in the, yeah, I never really that, quite know because U S just decides who they want to send to the world championships. Oh. It's not an official thing like that. Okay. There there are stipulations like if you perform well at races like this one, you're more likely to get chosen. Yeah, I think if you win the world champion or the US championship marathon that you have an You'll get an invitation. invitation. Yeah. Most but of the time or not. Who most knows? Of the time, I mean lots of the time. There's people a lot going it. on, a lot of racing for Futsum, so who yeah. knows if that's on his agenda or not, but we're excited yeah. to follow along. Speaking of excitement, there's a lot of things coming up that we want to make sure that you are well prepared for. And so if you need support in your training and preparations, your spring goal races are on your mind. We know it because, you know, December is not very long and then the new year is going to be here. So if you need some help with some of those kinds of things, and especially as many are finding, you would like something built, customized just for you, and it only takes a couple of minutes so it can be quick and it can be effective, check out our training services and the 
custom training plan option. Mm -hmm. You can find that at azrunning.com. Look for the word coaching. Mm -hmm. Thank you all for joining us once again, and we'll talk to you next week.